Hey there, welcome to the show. So I hope everybody is doing well this Sunday. And uh, you know what, I'm pretty sure a lot of you are, you know, looking forward to the next week or two, March breaks upon us. And just wondering if how many of you are actually going to go out and spend a little time house shopping. Well, if you do, you know, there's some things that are changing. So I'm going to talk about that today. I've got some great guests lined up later in the hour. And uh, yeah, it's just going to be one of those days that we're just going to talk about, of course, my favorite topic, and that is real estate. So uh, before I go down the road, just so you know, we've got that last bit of our final release up in North Bay. And if you're looking to buy a rental townhome, we've got them. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com and you can find out more. Or you can join me on Instagram, the Simple Investor One, and uh, definitely we can give you all sorts of information about what's happening in the investment world of real estate and so much more. But let's talk about the real estate market and what people are looking at right now. You know, with the things going on in the world, the real question will be: Will interest rates be affected more? Will they go up quicker? or potentially could they get stalled out? Well, as you know, we've already had an interest rate increase and lots of people are sitting there looking at it saying, okay, is this the start of something that's gonna get pretty serious? Well, I will tell you, and, I, and, and you know I try to be upfront when it comes down to things like this, when we talk about the market, when we talk about prices, and importantly, when we talk about interest rates. And you know what, they're gonna go up and they're gonna continue to go up, you know, hopefully not at a exponential rate, but we will be looking at higher interest rates as time goes on. That artificial low that we've experienced for years, you know, we just have to, you know, come to terms with the fact that it, you know, borrowing money has to cost a little bit more than what we were. And I know that's going to be disappointing for some of you because there's some of you that have come come to age or, you know, finally put together enough money to say, you know, we want to get it in the marketplace. But there is some urgency uh, that I'm going to say that if you've been sitting on the fence thinking about it, I will tell you that in, in my opinion, and I've got some experts joining me later, we will see interest rates continue to rise, you know, again, not to, you know, the historic levels that we've seen in years past, but we're definitely going to see mortgage rates coming into that two and 3% range. And for a lot of people, that seems like a lot. So again, if you've been waiting, you might want to jump in. And, you know, the one good thing though, is that we've noticed, we've seen a few more properties actually come into the market. So this is where some of the experts are now turning around and saying that we are seeing a little bit more of a balance. Actually, some of them are actually excited that the market could be cooling a little. So does that mean everybody has to jump into the fray and do it? No, nope. you got to do it only when you're ready. But you know, if you're going to get ready, here's my, my piece of advice. If you are a buyer today, I'm going to tell you that make sure that you've got all the people lined up. Make sure if you're dealing with a bank, whoever you're dealing as a mortgage specialist, make sure you know exactly what you qualify. Make sure you know what interest rate they're locking you in for and when. You know, that when is really, really important. So make sure you do that, okay? Because you don't want to miss out ever uh, when you turn around and find out your interest rate was higher or you missed on the timing. Because again, sometimes banks will only give you 90 or 120 day commitment on a certain rate. So make sure you know when you have to close. The other thing is always have your, your lawyer set up. You're going to want them to take a look at documents if you're you know kind of diving into this for the first time ever. And the other part, make sure you have a home inspector ready or at least being able to get a home inspection report I know when multiple offers, a lot of people do, they just go in firm, but make sure you know what you're doing. You know what? We don't want to hear any bad stories and there's enough of them out there. So don't be one of them. 
But when we take a look at this marketplace, as we start to see a little bit more inventory, we have to remember we're coming into the spring market. And what happens in the spring market? Well, of course, it means that things will keep staying strong. This is the biggest buying market of time of year that we have. And I just want to make sure everybody remembers that, you know, there there is a lull that typically comes out of a spring market. If you don't have to buy, you might get a little better deal in the summer or the fall, but you may see a higher interest rate. So just, you know what, sit down, calculate it out, figure it out. So a lot of things that are going on though right now, and we're finding that uh, we've got more parents jumping into the fray with their kids, helping them out with their down payment. And this could be a very positive thing. A lot of parents have, you know, locked in equity into their properties and they might, you know, loosen it up by using a home line of credit and helping the kids with a down payment. And so we're seeing more and more of that as time goes on. And again, it's not going to be a bad thing. But we have to be mindful of when people are getting into the situation, if you're going to be thinking of long-term ownership, you know, make sure you've got control of your costs. And one piece of advice I always like to give new buyers is that you get excited about that new property. But the one thing you don't want to do is then uh, after you've committed to it, you've got your deposit in, you're now waiting for the close, you know, you've done everything with your mortgage company. Keep in mind that you don't want to run out now and start buying or borrowing to buy furniture, TVs, you know, a new car, because the credit that they ran on you when you got qualified for your mortgage, if you start adding all sorts of debt to that, they may not let you get that mortgage when it comes time to close because they will turn around and pull your credit again to make sure if it's a long wait, if you have to wait, you know, 90 or 120 days, they may say, you know, subject to a final you know, credit inspection prior to funding. And what does that mean? Well, if you took on a new car and you, you know, got a whole lot of nice furniture, you may not qualify for that mortgage, which means, guess what? You got to put more money down. So these are the kind of things that, you know, you just, you've learned with experience. I've seen it in the past where people had struggled on their closing because they got so excited about their new property and then they had to turn around and, you know, source other money because they just couldn't get the closing done. So that does happen. You know, one of the things that we do look at spring market, we talk about multiple offers here all the time. You will hear me discuss on a regular basis, the lack of inventory. It's still there folks. So we haven't solved it. You know, since, since the last two weeks, uh, since you've been listening to the show, we haven't solved that inventory problem. It's not going to get solved. In fact, with the fact that we are running out of people, the, the trades that are able to build, it's going to make it more difficult as time goes on to be able to get some of this new stuff built. So what does that do? That puts a little bit more of a premium on resale. And this is why we're seeing the heat in the outer markets. But you have to ask yourself another question is that, you know, with now people mandating going back to work, in fact, you, you see the government, you're seeing more and more companies saying, okay, we're opening up, we want everybody back full time. Yes, there is a mix where people are saying we're going to do a hybrid program. In fact, I hear that a lot now, you know, people looking at three days at the office, two days at home, you know, does it still make sense to be out in the suburbs? Does it mean that you're going to have a little longer commute? Well, I think we're going to find out over the next six to 12 months, how everybody weathers that. Now, with the latest release on the masks, people are going to open up March 31st. You know what? Everybody's got their personal take on that. You know, is that going to change, you know, how some of the real estate's being conducted? Are people going to be a little bit more comfortable allowing people into their homes? Or are they going to say, no, you still have to wear a mask? Again, personal choice. If you're going into a seller's home, they will have that ability to say, nobody's allowed to enter without a mask. 
And of course, all the real estate boards and associations are going to keep all their realtors up to date on how they have to perform with the new changes to the mandate. So again, you know, so much that happens every day, every week here in real estate, you know, one of the things I like to do is I do like to sit back sometimes and just take a look at the numbers. And as the numbers unfold, you know, great start to January, decent February. We continue to take a look that the market is staying strong. Is it going to cool? I think it is. I think the market is actually, I'm not going to say cool to the point where we go negative, but I think we're going to take some of the heat out of the market. And when we do take the heat out of the market, what's going to end up happening is I think people will have a little bit more time to think about the multiple offer situation. Maybe there'll be less multiple offers, but here's where the heat is coming in the market. And I think it's one of those things that we have to address on a regular basis. And that is rental properties. And I, you know, I want to give a shout out to, you know, A, the premier right now, of course, the housing minister, you know, most of this stuff is going to be more municipal based, but we got to talk about the province here. You know, they've got to do something to help the rental base of properties. There's not enough being done. There's not enough incentives to the developers. There's not enough incentives actually to the individual landlord to be able to take that step and be able to maintain a decent rent amount. In other words, you know what, if you help a landlord and you say, but you gotta, you know, we need you to keep the rent at this level, you're still going to have a huge buy-in. And so at this time, affordability in the rental market is going to be key. And we're going to see more and more people renting. In fact, with a huge influx of new immigrants coming into Canada, where do you think they're all going to go? Out of the gate, they typically rent. And with the numbers that they are proposing right now, our rental market is going to have even a, a bigger shortage. And so these are the kind of things that I think we have to be mindful. We need to talk about responsibly all the time. You know, I don't want everybody to beat up on landlords because they think that, you know, oh, it's just that rich landlord driving the Ferrari around. You know, I've seen some videos. It makes me laugh every single time. You know, it looks like this guy doesn't have a care in the world. He's driving down in, down the road in his convertible Ferrari. It's not the case. You know, a lot of times landlords, they're they're not breaking even. You know, they have to subsidize it. And I know a lot of you are saying, oh, yeah, boo-hoo-hoo, poor landlord. Well, here's the thing. If the market ever adjusted and it goes backwards by 30%, these people could lose a lot of money, even though they are providing a roof over people's heads. So, you know what? I think there's got to be a balancing act. And I'm hoping that we do start to see a balanced market. I've never been in agreement with the market where it's running out of control. Prices are going and escalating you know, out of control, I think that we need to find that. And, you know, with the provincial election coming up, we're going to hear a lot of promises. And the only thing I hope that everybody does when we hear these promises is step back and ask yourself one important question. Is it real? Because whatever they promise, it's not going to be delivered. So, you know what, you're going to have to, whoever you decide as your candidate, you got to make sure that at least some of the stuff they're going to do is is going to be accountable. Whatever promise they make in real estate, it's going to be a real struggle. Right now, the province is saying that they're trying to shorten the red tape. Well, we still need to see more evidence of that, and we need the builders to be able to be freed up, and we need more inventory. That's going to probably give us an answer to a fair bit of this this uh, housing market. 
But other than that, you know what? It's going to be simple as usual here on the show, as I try to do every single week. And by the way, speaking of simple, if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, you can follow me on the Simple Investor One, or you can check us out on our website, and that is www.thesimpleinvestor.com. But when I come back, I've got a real estate Toronto real estate lawyer joining me, Bob Aaron. He is also a contributor to the Toronto Star. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest joining me, uh, he is Bob Aaron. And Bob is a Toronto real estate lawyer. He's also a contributor to uh, the Toronto Star. And Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, I I have to tell you, um, I I know that you're very busy in the real estate world. You do focus on real estate law. Lots to talk about uh, today because, you know, a lot of things, a lot of headlines popping up, and I do want to touch base on a few of them with you. Um, More more importantly, you know, just to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a perspective, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how long you've been practicing? Well, I've been practicing law for almost 50 years, Um, having a lot of fun time of my life, and uh, it never fails to to interest me to be interested in whatever challenges come every day at the office. It's a lot of fun. Well, I would imagine that you've been seeing quite a few changes over the years. You know, I... um, when I first started in real estate, the idea was that people would be doing six copies, press hard, you know, everything was in person. You know, we eventually evolved to faxes, then emails, now DocuSign. I mean, you've seen the entire gamut basically from the start of when real estate got so serious. Well, when I started, we didn't even have a photocopier. Then we got a photocopier, then a fax machine. And it's if somebody had been sleeping for the last two years and walked into a real estate law office today they wouldn't recognize it everything changed on a dime with uh with covid it was just phenomenal now would you say it's made your uh with the technology that's come in does it make it a little bit easier or are you missing the face-to-face of people oh yeah uh the odd person still comes in but uh yeah i am missing i am missing the face-to-face you know, I would imagine being able to practice for so long, you've probably represented people that have, you know, bought and sold with you, you know, a couple times. Are you are you taking a look now at the next generation coming up? Are you seeing the, the youth coming up and their parents had used you originally? Well, I, I'm now seeing clients who are the grandchildren of original clients or my dad's clients. And so we're now into the second generation and, and sometimes the third of clients and uh, it's very gratifying. So um, I'm gonna talk to you just about, you know, the structure right now. We've got a lot of first time home buyers coming into the market, a lot of excitement, you know, know, from the boards and a lot of the reports that we get, there's what we call the bank of mom and dad. There's a lot of parents coming in to help with down payments. Now, of course, for you being a closing lawyer when you do it, are, are you seeing this? Is this becoming a common trend for people? It's, it's increasingly common uh, with the escalation of property prices uh, quite often, um, including in my own family. It's very difficult for, for kids these days to afford uh, houses of a million and up. And, and the parents help. They might as well see their kids enjoy uh, enjoy the fruits of their labors while they're alive. So when, when we talk about, you know, obviously the next gen, there's also the fact that there's a lot of people that have been sitting on the sidelines waiting 
for the baby boomer generation to sell. But it seems like, you know, everybody's kind of staying pat. You know, do you see a trend where people are starting to downsize out of the family home or are we going to continue to see people staying put? Well, there will always be people who are downsizing uh, and it becomes a smaller or greater portion of the market as as the market fluctuates. But uh, um, during COVID, I've I've heard a lot of uh, my friends and my clients say, Boy, it's a good thing we didn't sell the house because we've got a lot more room here. We don't have to travel in elevators. Uh, we don't have to rub shoulders with with our neighbors. So there's 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 that part of the of the picture. So we we hear in the news, uh, you know, quite often that people are blaming different reasons for the market to escalate the way it is. You know, one of the ones that came front and center back in the 2016-17 market was they talked a lot about foreign buyers. And again, that has now come back into the the analogy that people are saying foreign buyers are driving the market. Are you seeing that? I mean, obviously, from a transactional standpoint, you see who's buying when you're dealing with a closing transaction. I'm pretty plugged into uh, to the real estate market. I'm constantly in touch with my colleagues and with real estate agents and, of course, with my own clients. And frankly, I think it's a myth. The foreign buyers are not driving the market. The market is being driven by supply and demand, and foreign buyers are only buying a small uh, piece uh, of whatever is available. The fact is that we have um, the children of the boomers. We have uh, huge immigration numbers, and that's driving the market. And and there there is no significant portion that is being driven by the uh, by foreign buyers you know one one accusation of course are the speculators that come into play here they're saying people are speculating because they see the increase in prices but bob wouldn't you see that as a result of somebody buying and then quickly flipping a house meaning that they just held on to it long enough or they're flipping paper i mean you know would that not be showing us that we see a lot more activity if it was the flippers creating this problem Well, there's always been flippers in the market, um, and sometimes they get pretty badly hurt. Like when the market took a a short dive in 2017, a lot of people got hurt. Uh, A lot of investors got hurt, and a lot of genuine um, buyers, legitimate homeowners, buyers and sellers got hurt. So um, I don't see anything particularly wrong with speculators. I prefer to call them investors. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 a big you know um, advocate for people to have investment real estate. I think it's important when you hear people that want to own investment properties that are going to be tenanted. Are you uh, are you seeing people do it cautiously? You know, I mean, I, I wish there was some programs out there for people to be able to take, so that gives them kind of that that front uh, education. Because again, sometimes the tenant knows more than the actual uh, landlord. Well, I, it's it's great to have people uh, investing in rental real estate. The the rental market is is a significant portion. Uh, the investor market is a significant portion of the people who are renting. And if in, if we lost the investors, there would be tens or hundreds of thousands of people with nowhere to live. When we uh, when we take a look at you know the latest transactions, um, I, I I'm going to ask for perhaps your personal advice. When people are going into a multiple offer situation, you know, there's been a lot of talk that, you know, how it's done needs to be changed. But, 
you know, there's there's responsibilities on on both you know transactions, both from the buyer and the seller. What would you advise our listeners on how to handle a situation when they're going into a multiple offer situation? Well, I think when you're going to multiple offer situation, you have to do with your eyes open. So you have to talk to your lawyer, you have to talk to your financial people, your bank, you have to talk to your real estate agent and advisor, and you have to know what the risks are. Um, it's probably somewhat less in a condominium, although there could be special assessments and increases uh, coming along the way. But when you're buying um, a, a piece of real estate sitting on the ground, you could be into some serious problems with repairs, renovations, uh, defects in the house. So you have to be able to, um, on the one hand, know what your risks are. And on the other hand, realize that if you overpay, your bank may not go along with whatever you paid in terms of financing. And you may be stuck hanging out to dry with not enough mortgage money to close the deal. So you have to go into a multiple offer situation with your eyes open. Yeah, I think that's some great advice because, again, right now in the current market state, we are seeing multiple offers, and I think people have to accept the fact that sometimes they will lose if they are not the highest bidder. So, um, Bob, if our listeners want to reach out to you, uh, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, there's two ways. Number one, uh, it's bob at aaron.ca, bob at aaron.ca. Um, there's a lot of stuff on my website at aaron.ca. There's about 800 columns that I've written for the Toronto Star over the last, oh, 22 years. Or my phone number, 416-364-9366. Well, Bob, I really appreciate you joining me today. It's been a great pleasure, uh, you know, having you chat with us. And I look forward to chatting with you in the future. My pleasure, Todd. Thanks for having me. So that was Bob Aaron, and he is a real estate lawyer in Toronto. He's also a contributor to the Toronto Star, and you definitely want to look him up because he's got some great articles to follow up. But just so you know, coming up after the break, I've got Benjamin Tall joining me from CIBC. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned, my next guest, no stranger to the show, Mr. Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC. Mr. Tall, welcome back. Pleasure. Thank you. Always a pleasure having you on the show. You and I haven't spoken for a couple months, and obviously a lot of things are changing in the world. And I was hoping to get your perspective. And first and foremost, um, you know, maybe you can give us a little bit of read on the economy, where we sit today, and then I do want to talk about the interest rates. Yes, of course. Uh, first of all, we have the situation uh, with Russia and the Ukraine, and of course, nobody knows what will happen tomorrow. Somebody the other day just asked me, what do you think Putin will do next? And I said, you know, next time I have lunch with him, I will ask him. Nobody <laughs> knows anything, including Putin. I don't think that he knows. Of course, this has implications for the global economy. But, but from a real estate perspective, the question that we are asking ourselves is the following. To what extent uh, what's we, what we are seeing now is recessionary or inflationary as far as the Bank of Canada is concerned? And it's more inflationary vis-a-vis -vis energy prices than recessionary. And therefore, the Bank of Canada decided not to stop raising interest rates. In fact, they raise interest rates. The Fed will do the same. And that will continue to be the case for the next uh, few uh, months and quarters. We see interest rates are continuing to rise. The economy is relatively strong. We are at full capacity. As you know, inflation is uh, much uh, higher than expected in the U.S. and also in Canada. So you see both central banks raising interest rates over the next year. The question is how quickly. 
that's the key question. Well, and, and, and I'd like to know if you, if you, you can, can project a ceiling to that, because, you know, as we had anticipated, and you had, you had told us here on the show, of course, was that we should be looking at a couple of increases. But with the, the world situation that we're doing, do you think that that might uh, caution them from increasing it too quickly? Well, I'm not so sure because, again, the impact on the economy is not very significant. We are twice removed from Europe. So therefore, economically speaking, the only significant impact will be on the consumer vis-a-vis gasoline prices, but also it's inflationary. And remember, the Bank of Canada, the Fed, their main focus is inflation. And the inflation was you know, elevated to start with. So now we are talking about 6 7% inflation rate. Now, we know that some of it will ease. But I think that the Bank of Canada will continue to raise interest rates to make sure that inflation is not too high. I do believe that there is no reason to question the, you know, the assessment that at this point, the Bank of Canada would like to see rates peaking at about 2 maybe 2.5%. Now it's 0.5%. So we still have a lot of um, room to raise interest rates. The key question is, quite frankly, is not what we call the terminal rate, but uh, the speed at which you get to this terminal rate. And if uh, the situation in Europe is going to influence the Bank of Canada or the Fed, it will be about the speed as opposed to the, you know, the, the rate that you will end up hiking. That's, I think, the story. And you know, before the crisis in Europe, people were tweeting about the possibility that the Fed and the Bank of Canada will move by 50 basis points. They are not going to do it. So it's really about the speed as opposed to the magnitude. Now, we've obviously been experiencing a very hot market for the last 18 months. You and I have talked about it before. You know, we're looking at prices continuing to go up, but there is that conversation that we're going to see a little bit of inventory. It looks like a few sellers are coming off, you know, the, the, the side and deciding to come into the market. Where do you anticipate the market going? And should we be concerned of a, a price downturn? Or do you think that we will continue even with increasing interest rates? Should we still see some escalation in pricing this year? Yeah, that's why I was uh, discussing the speed at which interest rates will be rising. If you tell me that interest rates uh, in Canada will rise to 2% over the course of the next two to three years, I will say the housing market will be fine. If you tell me that all this increase will be in the period of, let's say, six to 12 months, then I'm not so sure, because that would be a shock to the market. We are seeing a situation in which the market is starting, starting to slow down. We see a bit more supply, but also I believe that many buyers uh, have reached some sort of price resistance level. Prices are way too high. People simply cannot afford them. So my sources are telling me things are starting to slow down, and that's a good thing. Now, I still believe that the spring will be relatively strong because people will like to get into the market before interest rates continue to rise. But then I believe that the summer, the fall, of this year into the winter will be relatively uh, soft. When I say soft, I don't uh, mean uh, you know weaker activity. I don't mean uh, prices going down, but I mean that the market will be more relaxed. You know, it will be less crazy in terms of bidding wars and all this business. And I think that will be a good thing. Interest rates clearly will help to slow down the market, and that's a good thing as well. So the only thing that can derail the market at this point is not higher interest rates; it's rapidly rising interest rates. And that's why when I meet with the Bank of Canada, and I meet with the Bank of Canada very often, unfortunately, I tell them, listen, go baby steps. Don't try to achieve everything in one day, because then you will derail the market. When we talk about you know consumers, we also have to talk about the overall housing market itself. 
you know, I've talked in length over the years that we do have a lack of supply. One of the reasons why, obviously, the market has overheated, not just low interest rates, but just the lack of supply. You know, the idea of builders continuing on, is this going to still be, if we see a slight shift in this market, do you think builders are still going to be encouraged to be pushing through developments and continue to build? Absolutely. I think that if interest rates go up slowly uh, over the next two years, this will be a normally functioning market. And I think the developers will be fine. The number one factor slowing them down is labor. They simply cannot find trades. They cannot find construction workers. We simply cannot find them. And that's the number one issue restricting supply at this point of the game. So I don't think that the developers will slow down in any significant way, quite frankly. And they don't need to because the demand will be there. Remember, we are getting 420,000 new immigrants every year, and this number will rise over the next five, six years. So you need the supply, then need not to stop building the opposite is the case what we need is to do it a bit quicker and for this we need more trade and construction work you know i'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the conversations i've had here on the show in the past where i've actually encouraged that if the government's going to allow new immigration perhaps we should be also trying to attract the trades because again as you mentioned we have a huge uh, shortage of people that can build and that is going to hamper obviously any future developments for us so i think definitely for us to be able to match the supply for the need in the future we're going to have to focus on that absolutely i released a paper about immigration about uh, the fact that we got 400,000 new immigrants during covid in 2021 and i was curious to see the skill set of new immigrants relative to what we need so i look at the construction workers trades we need them desperately how many did we get in terms of new immigrants Basically zero. Same goes, by the way, for nursing. We need nurses like oxygen. We didn't get any. So we have to fine-tune the system in order to make sure that there is a better alignment between what we need and what they bring. So one last thought. We've got uh, we've got a lot of first-time home buyers coming into the market. And with the overheated pricing, a lot of people have had the conversation that, you know, it's just become unaffordable. So in steps mom and dad, you know, they become the bank of mom and dad. They're going to help kids out by you know, utilizing some of their equity from their existing properties. Is this going to be detrimental to their future? I mean, are they borrowing from their future by doing this? We did uh, some research on that. We looked at uh, gifting and the average gift is about 80,000 in Canada and about one third of uh, first time homebuyers get it. And then uh, mover up so about 10% of them also get the gift. And of course, uh, the gift is much large, larger in Toronto, Vancouver, which makes sense. Uh, our research suggests that uh, parents are still being responsible. Remember, there is, um, we are in the largest transfer of wealth in uh, Canadian history. And there are three generations, people in their 80s and 90s, people in their 60s, their kids, and people and their kids, like in their 20s and 30s. And I believe that this money is um, skipping a generation and going from the older people to the young people. And this is something that will continue. This is just the beginning. So our uh, research suggests that um, parents are not being totally irresponsible in helping uh, their kids. They simply have the means to do so. And that's it. What it means, however, that the wealth gap in Canada, that is already wide, is getting wider, and that's a very unfortunate situation. One last thing, when we when we look at some of the, we would call them the baby boomers, they've decided to stay put, so we're not seeing that shift of the equity. Um, have you noticed that from a financial delay in some of the economy where we haven't seen that transition? Absolutely, it's definitely happening. Everything is going more slowly now because people are not moving. The mobility in the economy is definitely uh, 
it's loyal. So absolutely, we see it. Well, Mr. Tall, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to chatting with you in the future. A pleasure. Thank you very much. And that was Benjamin Tall, Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. My next guest, he's no stranger to the show. You know, I get to have him on every so many months, and it's really important. Um, he is vice chairman at CBRE Limited Land Service Group, and it is Mike Jasowski. And Mike, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Always great to have you on the show, and uh, we haven't talked in a little while. So I do want to kind of get your rundown on, you know, industrial commercial for 2021. How did the year finish out? It was tremendous, Todd. You know, it certainly we're sitting at the lowest vacancy rates on industrial that we've ever seen. Um, that's been tremendous strength uh, for that side of the, the business. Uh, single family residential and condo have been great. And office and retail have been very steady. We haven't seen a huge movement one way or the other. They've held that, uh, but certainly on the COVID side, uh, it's helped two things, out of town, single family and industrial. Let's talk about uh, kind of each segment of the market because they are very unique. You know, when, when people hear about a hot real estate market, most people naturally equate that to the residential market because they're the ones that are living it day by day. Let's go to the uh, industrial part of it, Mike, because, you know, maybe you can shed some light for our listeners. Why is industrial getting so hot? Because people like me are learning to shop online. <laughs> you know, and I never did. I can tell you before COVID, I never did. I always preferred to go to the store, but I, I really believe the logistics behind online shopping, the people that supply them have taken off. And these are huge logistics requirements that take up big, big space. So, you know, that's, that's not changing anytime soon. So, you know, Mike, when you, when, when you mention logistics, you know, I think in the natural, you know, inclination for people is they start talking about places like Amazon, but you, you did bring up a good point. You know, the idea of, you know, shopping online and, you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm guilty of it. Uh, I really don't even think I've probably stepped foot in a store in about a year, but I, you know, I do plenty of shopping online, got through Christmas without having to go to a store. So when you think about it though, I would imagine that there's a lot of corporations that are looking at this saying, hey, we don't have to man all these stores if we can put our online presence stronger. Are, are you seeing that in the industry? Uh, certainly uh, on, on the big box side, we'll see what happens and how much space they really require. Uh, but on the convenience shopping, the groceries, shoppers drug marts the gas stations they still seem to be very active looking for space so i think on that side of it we still see tremendous growth what's going to happen to some of this big box is hard to say but the space is still being taken uh, i think there are people that still want to go in and, and into the stores for themselves so uh, there'll be a healthy balance the one thing we know about retail it will come back even stronger Let's, let's, you know, staying on the same idea of the industrial and, we, you know, talking about logistics and warehousing and things like that. Um, one of the things I do notice, you know, in the industry is that we're seeing some of the outer markets. We're watching more and more construction of, of these storage facilities, you know, 
where people can work with the logistics. You know, I, um, as a simple investor, we own properties all over Ontario and some of these smaller towns, they seem all of a sudden, you know, you see a hundred thousand, you know, 200,000 square foot warehouse being put up. You know, we see it, we see it out of London. We see it out of Brockville. We see it out of Peterborough. We see these areas that seem to have this uptick. Now, is this just from a logistics standpoint? Is or, I mean, it seems like it's also going to help the employment in some of these smaller towns. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think these logistics warehouse uh, users are, are going to service that area and they see the growth in these areas. And we were talking just before we came on, you know, we've seen tremendous activity on development plans for single family in these areas outside the GTA, Peterborough's, the Lindsay's, you know, Barrie and North of Barrie, Guelph, Kitchener, London have all seen tremendous uptick on the residential side with people buying homes there. Well, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, uptick on building, you know, recently provincial government came out and, and you know, you and I talked about this um, and, and, and I'm sorry, I have to laugh at this. You and I talk about this during every election and we've been, we've been online together for, for a few years now and we watch a few elections sail by and the commitment out of some of these parties and this, this past week, Provincial government said, look, they, they want to put together a plan to build, you know, 1.5 million residents here in Ontario over the next decade. Um, Mike, you know, I, I look at that as an impossibility. We don't have the, the, first and foremost, we don't have the trades to build it. Why is it that these politicians keep, you know, throwing pie in the sky when we can't deliver it? I mean, obviously there's the, the, the desire, there's the need for it, but how do we how do we actually deal with this? You know, I I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the trades. I think if we go to these outer locations, the land is there, and a lot of these municipalities will fast track land to get it through the development process. I think we need trades, and that that I look to our federal government to be strategic as to go and do. What they, they should be doing is attracting those trades to come into our country from all over the world. You know, we, we're desperately in need of these skilled trades. So we need our federal government to do something about it. You know, we, t- we talk about the federal government, but we've got right now we're listening to the provincial government making some commitments. I'm not sure if they've got federal government backing, but, you know, we, we've got an issue here. And the current situation with the residential real estate is you know, just absolutely no inventory. And we are now pushing really hard in the price point. Uh, just before I had you on, I had the uh, senior economist at RBC join me. And, you know, big, big thing is, is that we're going to see a huge, you know, um, I guess, supply gap in 2022. We just don't have the supply. So I know you work with a lot of the developers and, you know, obviously red tape has been one of the things that have handcuffed them over the years. Even if we get through that red tape, there's still not a solution of the build. And at the same time, you know, how many can we build? So, you know, I asked, I've asked you this numerous times, where is the solution and how do we get control so that, you know, your typical first time home buyer actually has an opportunity to buy something affordable? Well, I, I think we, it's the trades and we keep on coming back to it. it it's the red tape is getting, you know, land through the process quicker. But today, there's a lot of builders that'll tell you that they're hesitant to pre-sell homes and condos too far ahead 
because they're concerned about the increase in construction costs. So I, I think a big part of that is the supply chain uh, for a lot of that. And that I think will solve itself as COVID let, lifts up, we'll, that supply chain will come back. But a lot of it is in the trades and government policies. What a lot of people don't know is the amount of taxes that they pay and interest charges they pay when they buy their new home that is government done. That, you know, on a million dollar new house in the suburbs, I bet you 25% of it is in taxes plus interest uh, in the delays in the red tape. So, you know, if you want that million dollar townhouse for 700,000, we have to get these issues solved. Well, listen, Mike, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and catching up. Thank you for having me. So that was Mike Chesahowski, and he is the vice chairman at CBRE Limited Land Service Group. Um, he's been a he's been a guest with me many many times over the years. Always great to catch up. And you know, this is the thing: a lot of people think about real estate, but they forget the other aspect of it. You know, you see a big tower, and you don't really consider it real estate. But so many people are invested in it, and you know, you got to think about a lot of the REITs. A lot of the REITs own some of the big towers. And so it is definitely an avenue of real estate and watching all the markets, you know, on fire. That's uh, pretty incredible. Well, that's a wrap. And uh, you know, amazing how a Sunday can go by one hour. It doesn't take very long, but I got to tell you, I enjoy doing this every single weekend. You know, I do want to thank my producer, Ian Grant. He does make it simple for me. And more importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in and making us the number one real estate talk show. Uh, we do have a lot going on in the future, so if you want to, you can follow me on Instagram, the Simple Investor One. But of course, I will be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.